Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. take any of those factors out of there. Well, Christ didn't really die. He swooned. Okay, then payment wasn't made. Now, eh, it's not going to work. Well, Christ didn't really resurrect from the dead. The disciples stole his body and hid it. Eh, okay, doesn't work. Salvation doesn't work. The gospel does not work. All of those things have to come together. Christ lived a perfect life. Well, I don't think he really lived a perfect life. Eh, okay, then none of it works because he's an unfit sacrifice for us. All of it has to work together. Today, Pastor David explains how the resurrection is a necessary building block to the Christian faith. Our culture suppresses the reliance on a supernatural trust, and this may erode belief in important aspects of Christian teaching, such as the resurrection. Yet without belief in the resurrection, our faith is empty and Christianity is powerless. Jesus Christ was human and divine. He died a real human death, and then God supernaturally overcame death, raising Jesus to life again. Now, here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, The Certainty of the Resurrection. certain are you that the resurrection is true? That it really is true? A lot of hands say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I want to tell you, you've never experienced it before. You really don't know in, in a real tangible way of anybody who's experienced it before. I mean, we speak of Jesus, and I understand that, but Let's just face it, none of us have walked hand in hand physically with him. We've read it in the book, but are you fully willing to believe it simply because a book that was written 2,000 years ago talks about it? How certain are you of the resurrection? Would you be willing to risk most anything in your life for your certainty of the resurrection. What are you willing to risk for your certainty of the resurrection? Would you be willing to risk your comfort? Would you be willing to, to, to risk all of your connections, your, your friends? Would you be willing to risk your job because of your belief in the resurrection? How about your safety? How about your health? Would you be willing to risk your freedom because you believed so fully in the resurrection? How about if your very life was on the line? Well, this evening, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
And as we get into the passage we're going to be in this evening, I want to return to something that I said last time that we were here looking at chapter 15 in the first uh, few verses. And, and it deals with the great importance of the resurrection. I shared with you last time that there can be no true gospel without also accepting and believing in the resurrection. They're intimately tied together without any capability of separation. You cannot have the gospel if you don't have the resurrection. The resurrection is only available due to the good news, the news of the gospel, and the gospel is only complete with the reality of the resurrection. It's got to be there. You cannot have one without the other. Belief in the gospel is in vain if you do not also believe in the resurrection. So as a reminder to you, we're in the book of 1 Corinthians. We've been in here for a while now, and we're coming very close to the end. We're about halfway, or we're going to be halfway through uh, chapter 15 tonight, and there's only one chapter left. As kind of a reminder to you to kind of understand and remember where the church of Corinth was, they were, they were right in the middle of a very large and, and a very active Greek culture totally immersed in this Grecian culture at the time. The the community, all of the surrounding areas of the city of Corinth, they were actually a testimony to the size and to the strength and to that belief system of the Greek culture that is and was the Greek culture. You, You could see it everywhere that you looked, literally everywhere as you walked down the streets in Corinth, you understood you were in the midst of a Greek culture. It was the Greeks that introduced into you know, human consciousness, our, our understanding, this whole concept, this, this uh, probably one of the most powerful intellectual forces that move within modern history, and that's called humanism. Humanism. And that whole idea that the human being is the center of all things. You know, we talk about kids today, you know, they, they think that the world revolves around them. Well, that, that's the basis of, of the Greek culture, is that humans are the, are the most important thing that there is. And again, through the midst of that, it impacted all that they did, the way that they lived their lives, the excesses that they had within their lives, and the lack of limitations that, that were in their lives. It was the Greeks, more than any other prior culture, that showcased all of these human talents. They were the ones, more than anyone else, that brought to us an, an abundance of literature, uh, drama, poetry, music, architecture, sculpture, all of these things. The human mind and its ability to understand and observe and comprehend things rationally is that uh, be all and end all. That whole idea comes from the Greeks. The Greek philosophy is is a life, it, it just saturated that whole area. And because of that, it had a huge, huge impact on the church. And when you come to understand really the, the, the width and the depth and, and, the, and the processes of the Greek culture, the Greek mind, you realize, man, what an impact it does have in the church. 
A lot of the believers in Corinth had been saved out of the Greek philosophies, out of the pagan religions of of the Greek culture. And yet many of those who were now a part of the church, guess what? They brought with them from the Greek culture into the church some of the ideas and some of the understandings that they had grown up with as as part of the Greek culture. And due, due to that very fact, due to their immaturity, and we see that all through the book of uh, 1 Corinthians here, Paul speaking to them about their immaturity. Due to that, they, they tried to in some way reconcile Greek thought with Christian doctrine and make those two things work. And the problem was they were finding themselves having to move further and further from the truth of the word of God in order to, again, condescend to the Greek uh, culture that they lived in. Look, I, I, I live in a Greek culture. You, I, I, I can't live this way according to the truth and the doctrine of, of the word of God and the, the teachings of the apostles. I can have a little bit of that, but you gotta understand, I live and, and, I, and I work over here and my family's involved here. I, I can't be that way because that would be so foreign and, and you, you see that so much. It's because of that mindset that many of the problems that plagued the church in Corinth continued to remain year after year after year. These Gentile believers had been saved from the consequences of the paganism of the Greeks, and yet they brought with them much of the same influence and the mindset right into the church itself. And guess what, gang? We have the same problem today. We have the exact same problem. I'm living in Western civilization. Western civilization is already bred into our hearts and our minds, our attitudes as we read books, as we listen to the radio, as we watch TV, the the movies we watch. Everything that we see pulls us and draws us into that Western culture, that mindset. Very much, very similar to to the Greek culture where, again, the, the pleasures of this life are so important. The amusements of this life are so important. And you know what amusement is, right? To muse on something means to think and to process something. To amuse means there's no thinking. And we are a society that's being amused and not thinking. And that's being compounded into our lives. And so we bring that same kind of a thing into the church even today. We have men, women, and young people who are being saved from the consequences of this world, and yet they refuse to leave the mindset of this world behind. When they should be putting on the mind of Christ, they remained with their mind controlled by by the secular reasoning and the understanding of this very humanistic earthly surrounding. And when that impacts your life and my life and the decisions that we make more than the word of God, guess what? We move further and further away from the truth. And then we wonder why our lives are so messed up. We wonder why our marriages aren't coming together. We wonder why our kids are on drugs. We wonder why this is going on. And we wonder why that's going. We wonder why we don't have that peace and presence of, of God in our life. It's because we're still following the ways of the world rather than leaving the things of the world behind and pressing into the Lord and pressing into his word. Rather than seeking to accept 
the heavenly, supernatural ways of God and his kingdom, it continued to drag with us that logic, that pragmatism of the world and its system. Everything has to be explained in a natural way. Faith, and I put this in quotes, faith is only exhibited once we have all the facts and the figures, once we have all the angles worked out. But you know what? That's not true faith. It's simply the natural ways of man. Faith has absolutely nothing to do with that. Once we have all the angles worked out, once we have all the answers made, then we take that step out. That's not faith. That's the ways of man. There's nothing supernatural about that. There's nothing spirit-led by that. It's got to be, again, I, I, I need to have all the answers before I step out of this boat rather than just hearing the words of Jesus says, come on out, come on out. If and when we live and move in that kind of humanistic understanding, the supernatural then becomes relegated to another time or another place at best, or at worst, it's the supernatural is only understood to be well, that's just kind of symbolic. We read the word of God and we read about these miracles. Well, that's, that's just kind of symbolic. It's not, it's not really happening. Or we hear in developing countries where missionaries go about the supernatural work of God and we say, well, I don't, I don't think that's really real. I think that probably something else is going on. We, in, in other words, the supernatural becomes not real to us because our logic, our humanist thinking is what's real to us, and that's what we're holding on to. When the Greek soldiers and the settlers moved in and, and brought their way of life into the Middle East, they brought with them not only their language, not only their art and their architecture and their literature, but they also brought in with them their philosophies of life. And this was hundreds of years before Christ. And when that Greek culture came and merged with the culture of the Middle East, it created a new culture called, it was, it was a hybrid Hellenism. Now, Hellenism is an interesting concept. Hellas is the Greek word for Greece. So Hellenism is, uh, it's, I'm, I'm Greeceism. I become one with Greece. Many of you, if you've been in Bible studies for long, you've, you've heard of Hellenist Greece or, or Hellenist Jews, Hellenist Jews, they they have the mindset of a Greek, but they're trying to follow the Jewish law and religion. And guess which one they did better at with the Grecian culture than they did with the Jewish laws and rules. That class of Jews, known as the Hellenist Jews, as they emerged. They were impacted so greatly by that Grecian art, the, the architecture, their lifestyle, and their philosophy. The Hellenist Jews didn't live in the humble abodes of other Jews. No, they had houses with all the Greek uh, you know, attractions. Most Jews didn't have much artwork around, but uh, the Grecian thought says, oh no, artwork is beautiful. The human body is beautiful. And so we see all of this stuff, this mixing of the Grecian culture with, with Judaism. So again, that Hellenist influence was monumental at that time. And here in Corinth, man, it was the very, it was the very bed of, of, of Grecian thought at this point in time. It became such a problem with the church there in Corinth. And it was the reason why a lot of them didn't believe 
in the physical reality of the resurrection because the Greeks didn't believe in the resurrection. That's supernatural. That's, that's, no, we, we, need something. we need something we can put our hand on. We need something that we can calculate out. We need something that we can hold. And, and the resurrection, no, that, that's, that's, no, when something dies, it dies. And we believe that the Greeks believe that when they died, they just ceased to exist. That's why this life was so important to them. And everything about this life was just so important to them. Everything that you could gain in this life was so important to them. Kind of like our culture today, isn't it? Some of the Jews, that, even the Hellenist Jews that came to Christ, they came to Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, but yet they still struggled in this whole area of, of letting go of that culture or of the world's draw and the pull for it, and particularly those that were Sadducee Jews, Jewish Sadducees that got saved and, and brought into the church. And you might think, well, none of those guys would probably be. Yeah, some of them were. I think Todd explained to some of the ladies this week why they were called Sadducees. It's because they didn't believe in the resurrection, and so that's why they're sad, you see? <laughs> it's an old joke. It's an old joke. Well, since these Jews had been under this Greco-Roman control for literally hundreds of years, it had become such a part of who they were, their, their very essence, and in particular, that sect of Judaism that came out of uh, being a Sadducee, I'm, I'm a Hellenist Jew, I'm, I'm so involved in this culture, and now suddenly the gospel message, the forgiveness of my sins starts to make sense to me, but I'm not buying the whole picture. I'm not buying the whole thing. I, I want forgiveness of my sin. I believe that I'm going to stand before God someday and be judged for my life, and I want, I want that fire escape from hell. I want that, you know, that ticket to heaven. I, I, I don't want to be judged by that. So they came in, they received what they felt was the gospel message, but they still didn't believe in the resurrection. And that's the problem that Paul is having to deal with here. And that's why he hits it so hard here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul is, is literally attacking one of the core beliefs of that Greco-Roman influence. They, they believed that there was no true life after death, and they believed that there was no resurrection. So Paul's response to them first off is the testimony of Christ's resurrection. We looked at this last week. We'll touch on it real quick. Again, look what it says, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there in verse 3 and 4. As he's explaining, man, this is the gospel that I preached to you. And there in verse 3, he says, I delivered you first of all that which I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and, and period. You know, if you stopped it right there, if you're in the Greek culture, you've come out of it and you want to hold on to that Greek culture a little bit, I'm fine with that. Christ died for my sins. My sins are paid for. But then he adds the fullness of it. He says he was buried, but then he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures. That's the fullness. That's the very core of the, of the gospel message. And beloved, if that's not true, everything else is a bust. Everything else is a bust. You take any of those factors out of there. Well, Christ didn't really die. He swooned. Okay, then payment wasn't made. Not, eh, it's not going to work. Well, Christ didn't really resurrect from the dead. The disciples stole his body and hid it. Eh, okay, doesn't work. 
Salvation doesn't work. The gospel does not work. All of those things have to come together. Christ lived a perfect life. Well, I don't think he really lived a perfect life. Eh, okay, then none of it works because he's an unfit sacrifice for us. All of it has to work together. In verse two, he tells them they need to hold fast to the truth by which also they were saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. How can you believe in vain? Because they were trying to believe in salvation without the resurrection. You can't. That's, that's a vain belief. That's, that's an empty belief. It's an impossible belief. So now as we get, actually we're jumping all the way down to verse 12. That's where we kind of ended last time. From verse 12 and following on, you're going to better understand, hopefully now, the basis of of, of Paul's argument and, again, his strong stand for the validity and for the necessity of the resurrection. Look with me, if you would, beginning in verse 12, and we'll read down to verse 19, 12 to 19. Paul writes, now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how does some among you say that there's no resurrection from the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. Beloved, if Christ isn't risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. And yes, and we have found to be false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he didn't raise up, if in fact the dead do not raise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they've perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. First of all, let's do a really quick exercise. And no, I'm not giving you 10 bucks for this one, okay? Uh, Real quick exercise. In the Bible that you have, verses 12 through 19, you do your own calculations. How many times do you see the word resurrection, rise, risen, rose? Any of those? Uh, 11 is what I've got, yeah. In the King James, New King James, and the NIV, it's 11, okay? And that's counting resurrection, risen, raised, rose, and rise. Do you think Paul wants to get this idea across to you? <laughs> How important the resurrection is? It's gotta be there. Now, the fact is, again, You cannot be a Christian, Paul is saying, without believing in the resurrection. Because without the resurrection, there's no true Christianity. Without the resurrection, there's literally no forgiveness of sin. And as Paul lays this case out very plainly, he says that without the resurrection, verse 13, Christ isn't risen. Verse 14, our preaching is empty. Verse 14, your faith is empty. Verse 15, we're found false witnesses of God. Verse 17, your faith is futile. Verse 17, you're still in your sins. Verse 18, those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they perished. The word there that he uses means utterly destroyed. They're wiped out. They're no more. Verse 19, we of all men are most pitiable. Yeah, the resurrection, absolutely necessary for Christianity. The resurrection is the power of God which clearly places the truths of Christianity on a level far above any of man's religion or philosophy. It is the supernatural work of God and outside of the understanding or the logic or the power 
of any man or humanity in itself. Who can raise the dead? Only God. As we conclude our time here today on The Open Word, we'd like to thank you for listening. We hope that the words Pastor David has shared from the book of 1 Corinthians have touched your life and that you're eager to dive into a deeper relationship with Jesus. We'd like to invite you to join us again on The Open Word, but you don't have to wait to hear more messages from the Word of God. With details on how you can listen online, here's Pastor David. Hey, thanks, Chris. The Open Word has an archive of previous messages ready to be listened to, downloaded, and shared at theopenword.com. Simply click on the teachings link at the top of the page. You can also take the open word with you on the go by subscribing to our podcasts. This can be done through our website or by searching the open word on iTunes. By subscribing, you'll have sound biblical-based teachings with you anytime and anywhere. Thanks, Pastor David. While you're at theopenword.com, be sure to click on about for information about the ministry of the open word and more about Pastor David. There's also a link to Pastor David's blog, another great resource that looks deeper into what the Bible is teaching us. That website again is theopenword.com. That's all the time we have for today here on The Open Word. Join us next time as Pastor David continues teaching verse by verse through the book of 1 Corinthians. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope that you have a blessed day.